Welcome to another episode of Inspire for Five, where we aim to educate, empower, and inspire people to achieve their goals and to look forward to moonshot to impact the world. Today, we're very fortunate to be speaking again with Brian Talaby from Ahura AI. And Ahura AI is very much involved in education, which seems to be um, a thread. It's our belief that actually education is an overarching uh, milestone to achieve all the global grand challenges. Brian, welcome. Thank you for speaking with us again. And can you tell us a bit about Ahura AI? Absolutely. And thank you for having me. Our pleasure. At Ahura AI, we invented a technology that enables people to learn five times faster than traditional education. Love it. And so the way we do that is we identified uh, the, a reality where the educational establishment has not changed over the past 200 to 300 years. And it's a wild thing, right? Because every other industry, if you think of logistics or transportation, food, clothing, entertainment, anything we engage with has radically transformed over the past 200 to 300 years. And yet education is still the same exact way. You have a teacher in front of a class with a one-size-fits-all approach. So our approach is we leverage artificial intelligence and biometric data. We collect over 10,000 biometric data points every second while a student is learning on their computer to identify the optimal way to deliver content to that individual based on their unique needs in that moment. Fantastic. Um, and how did you go about, like, what was the point of inspiration that, that led you to use, so in education being the same for 200 years, absolutely. Um, but what led you to be inspired to do it in the way that you're doing it? Like making people learn five times faster by collecting data. How did that happen? Sure. Well, I'm going to go back for a second here. So I was born in a tiny village with no running water and no electricity out in the southeastern desert of Iran in a tiny village called Zanjirun. And I was extremely uh, uh, fortunate because we wound up escaping the country due to political persecution. We escaped to Turkey, lived there in abject poverty for a couple of years um, as illegal immigrants while we were waiting for our green card and our political asylum to come to the United States. Now, when we made it to the United States, I was six years old. And the reason I say we were for so fortunate is because suddenly I had access to the American education system. And in middle school, I taught myself quantum mechanics and differential equations, wrote a couple of white papers in the ninth grade, eventually started working at NASA when I was 16. And so education has been the biggest uh, variable in my life that has allowed me to have uh, an impact on the world. And what's fascinating is when I was much older, after I sold my first company, I went back to the village Zanjirun. And all of the people that I ran into, a lot of the kids that I used to play with and people that are distant relatives were still illiterate. They were sheep herders and goat herders. And they spent three hours trying to convince me that the earth is in the center of the universe. And so I realized that these people have the same background, the same IQ, the same uh, genes, the same potential. And yet they have radically different uh, life experiences. And so I realized that the core of it, if we want to solve the 17 sustainable development goals, if we want to solve all the biggest problems that we face as a human species, we have to first 10x the number of educated people. We have to 10x the number of engineers and scientists and philosophers and doctors. And ultimately, that is what's going to enable us to dig our way out of a lot of the uh, challenges that we face. And there are a lot of challenges, as outlined by the 17 um, United Nations uh, Global Goals. So that experience um, growing up and then going back 
how did that how did going back to the village where you were born um, lead to the five times faster learning capacity development sure absolutely so uh, what wound up happening is in college one of the companies that I founded uh, we sold educational books to families and I found that and after building a million dollars in ARR uh, sitting down with 30,000 families in their homes, talking to them about their kids' education, I found that even here in the United States, education isn't evenly distributed and neither is opportunity. And so after doing a lot of research, after leaving a couple AI companies that I helped scale and get to unicorn status, we did a lot of research. And it turns out there's been a lot of studies on this, that when you personalize education to the individual, their experience, their learning outcomes are significantly better. And Having been in the AI world for a long time, I realized that we can actually use it to personalize the approach. But instead of using artificial intelligence to get people to infinitely scroll on Facebook or to uh, sell more products on Amazon, we can actually use it to enable people to learn much more effectively. And it, it almost sounds like a no-brainer. Well, it is a no-brainer when you say it, that we stylize education and we put 30 students in front of the one personality for 12 months at least, some, some schools actually for longer periods of time. And it sounds ridiculous when you say those words when we're talking about personalization in in corporate programs or customized, you know, our houses are customized to our own particular needs. Um, so it, fe- it feels really bizarre now that we're talking about it that education is not customized and not based on everybody's individual learning experiences. How does your software, because if we flip that and if mm-hmm. we take that from the perspective of a teacher, so if you say to a teacher, um, we need to customize, personalize everyone's educational um, experience in, in this classroom or you know in, in our community, how does your software, how does your product help do that? Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up teachers. Both of my parents are educators and both of them are my heroes. Um, And I remember having conversations with my mother, for example, where she would say, when I'm sitting in front of a classroom, I know exactly what the 30 different students need, but you don't have the time resource to be able to personalize that instruction for every student because there's only one teacher. And so what we do is we leverage our ability to dynamically alter content in real time. And so what happens is For every sub-lesson that's 7 to 12 minutes long, we have nine different ways of conveying that same exact information. And so when we collect the 10,000 biometric data points, we can identify of the nine what's the best way to deliver that information in real time. Now, it gets actually crazier than that because from the initial data we've collected, it's fascinating. With a 60% confidence interval right now, we can now predict 10 seconds before a student pulls out their phone or goes on Facebook or Instagram. And so we are actually building interventions to prevent that context switching from occurring so that they can remain focused on the work that they're doing. That sounds absolutely remarkable. And I'm sure, um, and this is one of those examples where we go, data can be used for good. You know, there's so many fear stories out there around people taking your data and taking your personalized, any personalised information. And this is personalised learning. It's no different really to personalised health. Um, and you're using that to, to streamline and to, and to create experiences for children that are wonderful instead of, instead of half the class, if not more than half the class, really rejecting um, what's coming at them from the front of the classroom. I'm totally in awe of your product. Uh, how did you, just so final question, how did you actually put that all together how did you know which data to collect so my my head always goes to the how did that happen you know so how did you extract the information what was the process yeah absolutely so one of the first things we wanted to make sure 
is collect data from sensors that everybody already has, right? Obviously, there's a lot of sensors, Internet of Things, different things that are rolling out that some of them are quite expensive. We thought about putting EEG machines on people's heads as well, but again, very expensive. And we wanted to make sure that we're able to deliver this to the 49 million Americans who are about to lose their jobs to AI and automation. We want to make sure that for every seat that we sell to corporations here in the United States, we're also able to deliver a free license to individuals in underserved communities and slums in India and favelas in Brazil and refugee camps in Syria. And so what we decided to do is focus on the camera and the microphone that uh, everybody has accessible in their laptop or their tablet or their smartphone. Then we A-B tested. We looked at uh, hosts of different data that we could collect, and we landed on a specific set of data. So from the camera, we capture uh, eye tracking, facial expressions, micro expressions, as well as their fidget score. Right now, we're also adding their pupil dilation and facial flushing. And then from the microphone, we capture their tone of voice for sentiment analysis. We use NLP and speech-to-text to capture the specific word usage. And then we also capture the ambient noise that's available. Now, I want to pause for a second because I want to talk about something that's also really important to us because when we collect this incredibly private data on these individuals, especially when it's connected to how people learn through all the micro-assessments, quizzes, and tests that they take throughout – there is definitely an opportunity for this data to be used improperly. And so we're already thinking about the ethics of how do we, well, obviously we collect all the consent up front, but how do we make sure we protect that data, encrypt it in a way that it doesn't get hacked? And how do we make sure over the long term that this doesn't get into the wrong hands? So just a random aside, when I spoke at the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, there were multiple Russian oligarchs and Chinese investment firms that approached me and they were very clear that they were really interested in the data that we're collecting because they kept telling me how many different use cases there are when you collect this data on how people consume content. I mean, it uh, is like a nuclear version of Cambridge Analytica. And so we're in the process of building a uh, an ethics review board that has teeth. We're building out commitments that we're making that are legally binding to make sure that even when I'm replaced as a CEO or even when um, we IPO or what have you, that we're using this technology and getting to that unicorn status or $10 billion status, but doing it the right way without um, creating those dystopian futures that could possibly become a reality. And that's a whole other conversation that potentially we could um, invite you back for a third podcast for. (laughs) I would love to come back. Brian, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. And once again, education, an overriding, overarching aspect. How do we teach 7 billion people, how do we teach people to have equal opportunity? How do we bring that equal opportunity around the globe to impoverished countries and also to to first world and developed countries because we notice that there's an educational lack uh, in most first world countries as well. 